series called uh, Culture Shift. Everybody say Culture Shift. To every person who calls himself a believer, to every person who calls himself a follower of Jesus, to every person who calls himself a child of God, you are the shift in culture. You walk into rooms filled with darkness and hatred and despair. Your being there, your presence ought to bring about peace and the love of God. You walk into rooms filled with negativity and hate. Your being there, your presence ought to bring about the love of God, the joy of the God, uh, and the peace of God. And it's not because of you, but it's because of the God that's in you. <laughs> and that's how we ought to live our lives. Amen. Be able to walk into any room, open our mouths to speak, and the whole atmosphere of the room shift and change and just feel the love of God and the peace of God settle upon the room. Culture shift. We live in a time where worldly culture, I'm not talking about your ethnicity or your uh, heritage, I'm talking about patterns and beliefs and behaviors, understanding. We live in a time where worldly, uh, where there are so many dominant cultural narratives that are influencing many things that we do. A common word that's used to describe this, uh, these cultural narratives is being woke. Now, as believers, as followers of Jesus, as children of God, our guiding light is not the opinions of man. Our guiding light is not the woke culture. Our guiding light is the Word of God. Now, if we are not grounded on the Word of God, if we don't have the Word of God deep down on the inside of us, we're going to be like waves tossed about, uh, in different, with different, blown about in the winds of different doctrines and different ideas and different theologies and, that come about. Because just because it's woke, it doesn't mean it's Bible. And so it's important that we know the Word, that we've got the Bible, and that we read the Word and meditate on the Word, because we're going to find ourselves conforming to the culture if we don't. But you weren't created to just conform to culture. You weren't created to do that at all. Actually, you were created and you were meant to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. That sounds like a culture shift to me. And so today, my message is simply titled, Help, I'm, Oth I'm Offended. Uh, let's pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us this morning as we come around your word. Father, we don't want to hear from Don this morning. We want to hear from you. And so I pray, God, that you would use me as an instrument, as a vessel, Lord, uh, to preach and to share the message that you have uh, for Pukakoi this morning. Father, we honor you and we love you. And we thank you, God, for the freedom that we have in this country to open your word freely and hear your word. We love you, God, and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Offense is like the story of my life. And I'm pretty sure that there are some people in the room who can relate. Uh, oftentimes, we have that one family member who likes to dish out the compliment and then yank it right back in with a little bit of shade at the end of it. Uh, whenever I go to my mom's house, uh, she would say to me, oh, son, you're here. Welcome. And she comes and she gives me a great big hug. And then just at the end of that, she'd like, son, look at your stomach. And so I'm like, what? Lady, you're playing up. <laughs> You know, I remember last year we were in the lockdown, uh, when we went into lockdown, um, I started to train hard. Me and my brother-in-law, we, we got into training and we did a lot of fitness. I went from 107 kgs all the way down to 85 kgs. And so I was feeling good about myself. You shouldn't have clapped because I've actually put it all back on again. Um, but... I was feeling good about myself, and so I rocking up to my mother's house the moment the lockdown had finished, and my mom takes one look at me, and she's like, oh, you poor thing, come here. And I'm like, what do you mean, poor thing? 
And so now I'm really offended because I feel like she's taking a dig at how I look. She's implying I look sick. So I'm like, help, I'm offended. You know, we've all had a moment where somebody said something or did something that offended us or made us feel unappreciated or insignificant. Other times we've gone looking for the offense and guess what? We found exactly what we were looking for. And so instead of, clearing, uh, of seeking clarity on it or uh, understanding, we put that cassette into the tape recorder and we play it over and over and over again. We've misheard something, we misinterpreted it. Uh, but we just play it again. Other times, we're, we're not offended because of what someone says or does to us, but we're offended because of what someone has said or done to those whom we love. What did you say about my mom? What did you call my dad? And so we, come, we become so offended. We're either being offended or we're offending others. And it's important that this worldly culture doesn't influence the way that we respond to offense. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about offense, what it is, why it happens, and how we ought to handle it. The first thing you need to know this morning is that offense is a trap. Can I just say that I would be a fool to think that I would never be offended in my lifetime. Uh, I would be a fool to think that uh, I'd be surprised if I didn't meet a person who was not offended one time in their whole entire life. Because the truth is, we're, we're always getting offended. We're either getting offended or we're the ones that are causing the offense without even realizing it. And I want us to really have a think about that for a minute. I mean, if you really think about Jesus back in his day, Walking around in his time telling everybody, hey guys, just so you know, I'm actually the son of God. You know, that in itself would have been offensive in his day. And so you've got religious leaders and, and so many, you know, um, rulers in the time who were offended at the fact that Jesus was going around saying to everybody, hey, if you want everlasting life, you need to put your faith and your trust in me. That's just crazy. But before we go letting off uh, these religious leaders off the hook, Jesus does something extraordinary. He doesn't just shift the culture with the word, but he starts to do the unthinkable. He starts to heal people. He starts to speak to the wind and the waves. He starts to feed thousands with the little that he's got. He starts to bring the dead back to life. He even dies and then is resurrected on the third day. All of these things should have been enough for the people to know that Jesus was who he really said that he was. But instead, they're so offended by him, they now start to lay a fence and put a fence out so that everyone else don't believe him. They start to say things like, no, he's possessed by an evil spirit. He can't be the son of God. He, he didn't resurrect on the third day. The disciples stole his body. They're offended at Jesus, and so they go right on and cause offense so that others don't believe. In the New Testament, Jesus says this, Luke 17, verse 1. He said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. And I did a little bit of research into this, and I found that the Greek word for offenses that Jesus uses here in the text is the word scandalon. When you think about a mousetrap, scandalon is the part of the mousetrap that you put the bait or the cheese on. It's enticing, it's alluring, it's tempting, it's attracting, but when you take the bait, you get caught on the, in, the, in the trap. And as we all know, any, any mice that get caught in the trap, um, you know, they, they eventually die. And it's the same with us. When we take the, the, the bait and we step onto scandalon, we become trapped. And this ultimately leads to our destruction. 
Uh, I used to work for a bank years ago, and uh, I remember one morning the boss texted me and said, uh, called me and said, um, hey, Don, sorry, you're going to have to manage the branch today. Um, I'm not going to be able to make it back. Um, my flight's been delayed. I'm going to make it back just in time to close the, the, the branch. So I was like, great. Hung up, and I'm like, yes, <laughs> this is the day. I got my bank blazer on. I got the badge on, and I marched on down to the bank, opened up the, 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 the bank, got, you know, did the brief with the entire team, opened the doors, and the people come marching in. And so the first person that I see, I call this individual over and they come to the, to the station and they hand me this withdrawal slip. And they say to me, oh, so you got the job. And I'm like, what do you mean, so you got the job? You know, I'm so offended by this. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm mad because I'm starting to feel attacked. I'm stepping onto scandalin. I'm starting to step onto the, the trap. Is it because of the color of my skin? Is it because of my demeanor? Am I coming across uneducated to you? What do you mean? I did, you know, so you got the job. And at this point, uh, uh, the brown in me wanted to respond to this individual in a brown way and let them know that I was in charge today and I have no issue shutting this whole thing down and giving you the $4.60 that you're wanting to withdraw. But that's not how I responded. And so I said, to, uh, all of these things are going to my mind, but I, I leaned on over and I said to them, uh, yes, I applied for it. I went through two job interviews. I did a maths test in the city and I got the job. And then I did the unthinkable. I replied and then I, I added this other response and I was like, and just so you know, it had nothing to do with the color of my skin. <laughs> and so then this lady says to me, uh, this individual says to me, yes, I was one of the 40 applicants who applied the job, but it's so good to see that you got it. Congratulations and well done. And I'm like, okay, here's what my biggest problem was. I went looking for a fence and guess what? I found it. What I thought was a fence wasn't even a fence at all. I stepped right onto the trap, stepped right onto Scandalin, and this is exactly where the enemy wants you. Because he knows that if he can trap you, you're not going to go nowhere. You're not going to join no small group. You're not going to join no dream team. You're not going to serve on no worship team. You're not going to go to church. You're not going to go to your cousin's wedding. You're not going to go to your sister's funeral. They offended you. And that's exactly where the devil wants you. He wants you trapped. A man by the name of Naaman in the Bible, uh, he was an amazing man. He led the army. Uh, and he was a commander of the king's army. He led the, the army to so many victories. But the problem was he had a skin disease. He had leprosy. And this man, Naaman, he was encouraged to go down and see a prophet by the name of Elisha who would heal him. And so he goes on over to the king and he says to the king, king, let me go on down to get the healing. The king lets him go. Long story short, Naaman starts to march on down with his horses and his chariots and his men down to prophet Elisha's house. He gets there and he waits out the, outside the door. And the prophet Elisha does the unthinkable thing. He writes a note and he sends it out to Naaman, and he says, and the, and the note says this, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and you will be healed of leprosy. At this point, Naaman is angry. He's mad. He's now offended. What do you mean go down and wash myself? The least you could have done is come out here, look me in the eyes, or wave your hand over the leprosy and heal it. What do you mean? And are there no other cleaner waters other than the Jordan River? And you're asking me to go dip myself seven times in the Jordan River. And so he turns around and he doesn't want to be healed no more. But when he's, gonna, he, he's about to turn around and leave, and some of his soldiers, some of his men say to him, Naaman, you know, if he had asked you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? And yet he's asking you to do this really simple thing, and you wouldn't do it. Come on, just go down and dip yourself in the water. Can I just say, get some people around you who, 
are not afraid to pull you in when you start to get a bit offended. Buddy, you're getting a bit offended. Pull your head in and rein it in. Because that's what Naaman had. And you know what? So Naaman goes on down to the Jordan River, dips himself seven times, and guess what? He's healed. Healed from the leprosy. Can you imagine what would have happened if he did not go down to the water? Can you imagine what would have happened if he continued to hold on to his offense, if he continued to step into the, into the trap? He, he would have forfeited his God-given opportunity to be healed of this disease. But this is what offense does. Offense causes you to forfeit your healing. Offense causes you to forfeit your breakthrough, forfeit your growth, forfeit your God opportunities. And so we begin to isolate ourselves. We start to stifle our growth. We put the cassette in the recorder. We play it over and over and over again in our minds. And we eventually start to destroy ourselves from the inside out. Don't fall for it because it's a trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. Offense is a trap. The second thing I want you to know this morning, being offended is choosing to partner with a spirit that is not of God. And I want you to really hear the heart of what I'm saying this morning. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, but he sends, a message, uh, he sends some messages ahead of, ahead of him to go into the city of Samaria. And here's what you need to understand. Uh, the Jews and the Samaritans, they had a lot of religion, like religious conflict back in the day. And so they didn't really see eye to eye. And so for Jesus to intentionally want to go through Samaria to get to Jerusalem, it's quite interesting. It was as if Jesus was trying to teach his disciples that, you know, uh, yes, I know there are a million other ways to get into Jerusalem, but I want to give the Samaritans an opportunity to get salvation, to be saved. They can offend me all they want, but it ain't going to stop me from loving on them. They can hate on me all they want, but I'm going to give them a chance to receive salvation. But here's the thing. The messengers went on before him into Samaria. They get there and the Samaritans close the door on them and say, you're not welcome here. Jesus can't come through here. And so his disciples, uh, something really interesting happens here, and it's in Luke 9, 54 to 56. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. His disciples said to him, Jesus, you just say the word and we'll call down fire from heaven like Elijah did and destroy all the Samaritans. And Jesus rebukes them and says, no, 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 no. What kind of a spirit is that? That's not what I'm about. You do not know what spirit, what manner of spirit you are of. I'm not here to call down judgment on them for offending me. And Jesus reminded them, the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives. He came to save them. Bless the disciples their way. For a minute there, they forgot who they really were. Uh, they forgot that they were created in the image of God. They stepped onto scandalin. They stepped onto offense and partnered with a completely different spirit. They thought that being like Jesus meant that you could call down fire from heaven. They thought that uh, reflecting the character of God meant that they could use power and call it down and destroy people. And Jesus corrects them and says, that's not what I'm about. That's not what it is. That's not my heart. You aren't reflecting me. You're not partnering with me. You're partnering with a different spirit because what I'm really about is mercy. And the disciples are like, but Jesus, they offended you. They won't accept you. Mercy. And sometimes we can get a bit like that. But they hurt me. Mercy. But they're talking about me. Mercy. 
but they're lying on me and now I'm having to pay for it. Mercy. But they've killed my family member, man. Mercy. And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Man, that's really hard, eh? Because a human in us sometimes wants to avenge ourselves. But you know what? Paul says this to the Romans. He says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, when he's talking about heaping coals of fire on the enemy's head, he's not really being literal there. Uh, and one of the scholars of the word says that it is this idea of the burning conviction that your kindness, that your mercy, that your love, that your compassion places on the enemy. A theologian by the name of Adam Clark puts it this way. Following Jesus means being merciful to others instead of being harsh with them. How do we handle offense? That's the big question this morning. We forgive. You need to know up front that forgiveness, it doesn't change the facts. Just because you forgive, it doesn't mean it didn't happen to you. Forgiveness doesn't rewrite the past or change history. Just because you've forgiven, it doesn't mean it, it, it didn't happen to you. Forgiveness, uh, don't erase the pain sometimes. Just because, it, you've, just because you forgive, it doesn't mean that it didn't hurt you. But forgiveness is saying, you know what? I'm changing my heart attitude towards the person who offended me. It's no wonder Paul says in Ephesians, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. He even says in Colossians, bear with one another and forgive one another. If any, anyone has a complaint against one another, uh, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. You see, Paul is saying to every person who has accepted Jesus for salvation has been forgiven of their sins. Therefore, as a result, we ought to be quick to forgive as well. It means I'm not holding on to offense no more, but my heart attitude has changed because I realize now that I too needed forgiveness. And even Jesus himself, when teaching his disciples to pray, he says this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Offense traps you, but forgiveness frees you. Being offended is partnering with a spirit that is not of God, but choosing to forgive is to pattern ourselves after the forgiveness of Jesus toward us. What better way to shift culture? What better way to counteract the culture of this world and pattern ourselves after, uh, after kingdom culture? Forgive. If I can ask the keys to join me this morning. So here is where I need to land the plane this morning. And this is going to get a bit mushy for some of you and a, a, maybe a little cringy, but I really want you to just hear the heart of what I'm saying this morning. Forgiveness releases you from the trap of offense. But sometimes it's hard to extend forgiveness because extending forgiveness means that we're moving on. And sometimes we just can't seem to move on because we're still waiting for an apology that probably won't ever come. We're longing for an apology that, to be quite honest with you, you might not ever hear. And you see, here's the thing. God wants you to move on so much, but 
He don't want you to move on without being healed first. And so right now, I would like to take a moment to apologize to you for the offender. I am truly sorry. I am truly sorry. I'm sorry for everything and for every person who has ever offended or hurt you. I'm sorry for every single person who didn't show up for you when you needed them to. I'm sorry for every single bit of racism that you experienced. I'm sorry for the sexual abuse that you had to endure. I am sorry for the verbal abuse that you had to listen to all those years. I'm sorry that they left you and abandoned you. I'm sorry that he wasn't man enough to tell you why he chose to walk away. I'm sorry that they left you and abandoned you at a young age and left you to fend for yourself. I'm sorry that you had to drop out of high school early to take care of your siblings. I'm sorry that they let you go. I'm sorry that they didn't choose you. I'm sorry that they didn't give you a chance. I'm sorry for every single hurtful thing that was ever said about you behind your back. I am truly sorry. I am truly sorry. But if you could just hear my heart right now, here's what I want to ask of you. Would you forgive them for what they did by giving your pain, your hurt, your offense to God? Can you invite God into this area so that he can free you from all the moments where you've been offended and hurt? Because holding onto that offense and that hurt is only going to ruin your future. Make the decision right now not to live another day stifled by the poison of offense. Choose to release it over to God. Choose not to be bound and enslaved by offense. Choose forgiveness. And if you're anything like me, you'd probably say, but it's not fair. And here's where it gets really, really challenging. Because the truth is, it wasn't fair for Jesus to bear the cost of my shortcomings or your shortcomings. It wasn't fair for Jesus to pay the price for my offense and your offense. It wasn't fair for Jesus to pay for my sin and your sin. It wasn't fair for Jesus to forgive me and forgive you. But you know what? He did. He forgave you. He forgave me even when we couldn't forgive ourselves. Jesus chose forgiveness. And so he sets for us the perfect example of how we can release ourselves from the bondage of scandal. We forgive. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, let me pray. God, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, reminding us that offense is only but a trap. And so right now in the name of Jesus, I pray over every single person under the sound of my voice 
God who has been carrying offense and hurt. Lord, we release it to you right now in Jesus' name. And I pray, oh God, that as we release it to you, your peace, your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness would rest on us this morning. And so we thank you, God, that as we leave this place, Lord, we would walk in freedom. We honor you, Lord, and we thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.